Hi, my name is Stephanie Mitchell. I am here today with my good friend Mia Hempstad, and Mia has so graciously agreed to share with us today her mental health journey, and so I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us why she's here. Thank you, Stephanie. Hi, everybody. Um, Stephanie and I actually know each other from three years ago when she started following me on my YouTube channel, so right before she hit record, we were just talking about, like, I was just saying how cool it is to be here now that you're launching your YouTube channel. And I'm so happy to be here and support. And I've seen Stephanie grow so much in her own mental health journey. So thank you for having me. Um, my name is Mia. And I started sharing my mental health journey online three years ago. I was a young mom, still am a young mom, but had just had a baby and was struggling with postpartum depression and anxiety and was just kind of coming out of it and really just beginning to acknowledge how long I've been dealing with anxiety and depression, even outside of motherhood. And it was really me just starting this process of discovering my own mental health and my own mental health challenges and wanting to share that process with everybody. So instead of coming on and saying, hey, I have it all figured out, everyone, here's what I do, it was more like, I'm just figuring all this out about myself and it's scary and it's difficult, but I know that there are other people who are in the same boat as me, who, just like Stephanie. And um, yeah, so it's so cool. This is really you and my first time like talking face to face, even though it feels like I've talked to you like before. I mean, we've, we've chatted, we've DM'd, but this is really cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very similar to Stephanie in that we're just like figuring it out and um working on our own healing so yeah absolutely yes thank you again so much yeah. and so let's just dive into the questions you mentioned a couple of your diagnoses but what mental health diagnoses do you have and can you tell us a little bit more about those yeah so I'm officially diagnosed with PTSD and major depressive disorder it was a diagnosis I received last year. Um, obviously, diagnoses can change. I haven't been evaluated since then. But um, basically, what that means from my understanding is with PTSD, a lot of people think that you can only have that if you go to war. And one of the common questions I get from people is like, oh, I had no idea. And like, you have PTSD. How did you get evaluated? Or I tell people like, I have chronic nightmares, and that's a part of PTSD. And so some people are actually realizing that that their chronic nightmares aren't normal. Like that's why it's so important for us to talk about this stuff. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more later. But, you know, just even sharing that I have these things and what they mean is encouraging people to actually like, first of all, recognize that it's not normal to be suffering all the time mentally, right? So basically PTSD for me is I um, I went through almost two decades of abuse. Um, I can't go into details about it because my story is so interconnected, but I realized the best way to explain it is I took an ACEs assessment. It's a trauma assessment that's used commonly in the therapy world. And it's like scored from one to 10, 10 being like the worst possible trauma um, for that assessment. And I scored an eight out of 10. So that is where I'm at. And so basically what that means is I pretty much live triggered most of the time, like anxious. I have nightmares that are usually very vivid and very stressful and they feel life-threatening. And um, 
how else can I explain it? It's like I'm constantly like it's, I don't want to say I'm constantly living in fear because now I'm really aware of it, right? I'm aware of it, so it doesn't have as much control over me, but it still weighs on me, right? I and and because of that trauma, there's so much research done about how our trauma is stored in our body and causes a bunch of other chronic illnesses. So I have chronic migraine, I have chronic sinusitis, you might be able to hear really nasally, and um, it's basically due to inflammation in my tissues, in my face, so in my ears and in my in my face, my uh, tissues get swollen, basically, and then that throws off uh, the pressure in our head and, like, our inner ear, so everyone, like, and I feel like it's important to explain this because I think people just think, like, oh, you're just scared, it's like, tra trauma has a very physical repercussion in our bodies and so for me for the last seven years I've been dealing with sinusitis that's gotten worse and it's connected to the migraines so basically you know we have this really cool thing called our inner ear that helps keep our pressure balanced and helps us to walk straight and swim and things like that and so my inner ear is messed up because of the inflammation that's coming up and down all throughout the day so I'll have most of the day where it's just hard to breathe through my nose and that can cause like dizziness and migraines and headaches and so that and then of course like some digestive issues I mostly eat gluten free because of that and uh it's a whole host of issues that are caused by it so I, I just really wanted to explain that because I think a lot of people just think that mental health challenges are just in your brain and you're just sad or you're just stressed and it's like it, there's so many physical repercussions it's like I'm dealing with chronic fatigue and all this stuff and I think honestly it's part that's like even harder to deal with it because like I'm a young mom like I said and I'm trying to after get the thing on it's very hard to do that um, and then the major depressive disorder is just like um, struggling with my self-worth and self-esteem and Again, that diagnosis was given to me a year ago. I would say that my depression is so much better now. Like, I mean, yes, of course, I struggle with self-esteem just like anyone and insecurities, but I feel like I've gotten so much more past that. Like, I've healed a lot of that, so that's really good. And obviously, that's a result of the abuse I went through, just, like, being made to feel worthless, right? So I've really kind of reclaimed a lot of my dignity there and uh, have been able to move past that. But yeah, those are my two diagnoses and uh, it's, it's hard living with that, you know, and it's, that's why it's nice to connect with people like you because I think there's just so much that you can talk about with someone that also understands this, that you can't explain to other people like who just don't get it, like who just don't get it. And, you know, my husband uh, a year or two ago, um, he actually shares, shared this on his own YouTube channel, so I don't feel weird saying it, but he had his own panic attack, like his very first panic attack. And um, after that moment, he had way more empathy for me. Not like he never did, but you know, it's like your spouse understands, like they love you, but they don't truly get it. And then he went through that and yeah, it just completely transformed like his ability to understand what I go through every single day. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I can relate to the depression. I struggled with that for a really long time. Yeah. Um, luckily this year, I'm finally starting to get some relief and I don't oh, feel good. that heavy seasonal depression. So thanks oh, to a new medication that I've been trying. So that's really good. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about your trauma. So as you heal from that, what have you found helpful? So many things. So I 
I'm on medication, but my dose is changing. So it's kind of like I'm almost not even on medication anymore. But I was on medication for almost a full year. And that really helped me to have relief, to catch a break. Like I was so in the darkness and the heaviness last year that I was struggling with suicidal ideation every single day. And it was becoming so intense and so heavy. And like I couldn't, I just needed to catch my breath. And that's one of the things I try to tell people about medication. People think that medication just numbs you and makes you a zombie or that it changes who you are. And I, and I honestly feel like it enabled me to be more of who I am and enabled me to stop being so weighed down by all of this heaviness and sadness and anxiety that I was able to cast my breath and start therapy and actually make some strides there. So then I started trauma therapy, which was really helpful, like cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, practicing mindfulness, which is something I really need to work on still. Um, and I'm in therapy again. Like I had a little bit of a break and I went back in therapy this year. Cause obviously this year has been so hard, obviously on all of us because of the pandemic, but also just like with like this election year and the, the civil rights movement being reignited and realizing a lot of my friends didn't care about racism was extremely difficult. Like it was like, it was like my concept of my community was shattered. Like I, these people who I thought cared were just so silent on these issues or were saying that they don't matter. And that really devastated me in a way that I wish didn't, right? Trauma, I have a saying, trauma is very expensive and it's very inconvenient. And, um, but you know, if you love yourself and you're trying to love yourself, you have to, you know, if, if my son was struggling with something, I would spend all the money and move all the mountains to get him relief. So it's like, I need to make sure I'm doing that for myself. Yeah. What helped me? So therapy, medication, talking, I really heal through talking, sharing online on YouTube and on Instagram, um, has been very helpful. And, um, I read a lot. I not as much recently with the pandemic cause I started working full time, but, uh, I read a lot of books through audible, uh, Dr. Brené's books have been super helpful. Her book rising strong, just anything. Oh, and learning about self-compassion was huge for me. It was a huge turning point because it was, I never had been exposed to the concept that being compassionate with yourself, even when you mess up, when I say mess up, meaning a lot of us who struggle with anxiety have negative coping mechanisms. I mean, everyone does, but like, um, and you know, if you have a negative coping mechanism, say it's binge eating or it's like picking your face or picking your nails or biting your nails, we tend yeah. to beat ourselves up when we fall into those patterns. And this book, it's called uh, Radical Acceptance by uh, Tara Brock. She's a doctor as well. And she... I was the first time I was exposed to that. I highly recommend that book to everybody. Um, she is, I think she's Buddhist. So I know that some of my Christian friends are like, oh my gosh, I can't read anything unless it's by a Catholic author. But honestly, I wouldn't be where I am in my mental health journey if I didn't let myself be taught by people outside of the small Christian community. Because her yeah. book was so helpful. And I, she was writing about somebody who had anorexia and who would beat herself up emotionally if she, you know, ate too much, quote unquote, right? And then instead of, you know, she taught this person to, to be like, no, it's understandable why I ate a lot. I was feeling these things about my body and it's okay to eat. And I never heard that before. And all of a sudden, because I am a recovering perfectionist, really, I used to be really bad. Um, I just started to be I just started to talk to myself with compassion. Like I just started to be kinder and chose compassion over that beating myself up approach. And it just changed 
so much because I grew up in a very, like my childhood was full of a lot of abuse and a lot of uh, just harshness. And so being compassionate, if you think about it, is like the complete opposite of what I dealt with. So it's really the antithesis and it's what I always needed. And so I, you know, I, I, I encourage therapy. I encourage uh, medication if your doctor recommends it. I encourage getting a diagnosis from a psychiatrist, not a primary care physician, from a specialist. But I also don't want to discount how much progress you can make if you just seek out this information through books and podcasts and experts and other peers like you and I who who are living it and yeah. just try this stuff and you just be open to self-compassion and like the research behind self-compassion. Dr. Brene Brown as well has all this research on self-compassion. So self-compassion was huge for me. And as you know, like I care about a lot, I talk about it a lot in our group. I talk about it a lot. I have a whole lesson dedicated to it in our group. And I just can't, I can't emphasize enough how important that is, but it takes practice. I think at first it feels weird affirmations as well have been really helpful for me as a recovering perfectionist to remind myself that it's okay when I make a mistake and honestly having a hobby like I picked up graphic design for fun three years ago and it helped me so much to just explore my creative side to be okay not being perfect because graphic design is something it's not math like there's no one perfect right way to design a graphic so it really stretched me to let go of the rigidity that I constantly place on myself to be perfect. So there's so many things. And uh, like the one thing I recommend to people all the time is like approach your mental health journey and your healing journey as an experiment. It's one big experiment and you're just learning what works for you. And honestly, some things that worked for me last year do not work for me this year. And you're always going to be peeling back new layers and like, like reaching the next level of what you need. So yeah, there's just so many, I've tried so many things like, I could write a whole book on all the things I've tried, but <laughs> yeah, those are the main things I would say is that medication therapy, talking and practicing self-compassion and having a hobby. I love that self-compassion concept. That's something I really need to work on because I didn't really grow up with that kind of pattern myself. And so it feels weird to, yeah. it's, it's my natural habit to just fall into beating myself up. Yeah. And so, yeah, I really want to learn that. My next question for you. Um, so social media can be so toxic yeah. for our mental health, right? Especially this year, I've found I've taken huge breaks from most parts of social media. So what are some things that you do to make that space a healthier experience for yourself? I love that question because I think it's something so many of us are dealing with and I'm a communications manager as my day job, right? And I, I have my own business that's on the internet. So it's, I'm always on social media and it's also yeah. my negative coping mechanism. So scrolling is something I do and it's so toxic because it just really makes your anxiety worse. I mean, my husband lost his job. This is a tangent, but it's related. He lost his job because of the pandemic eight months ago and all of a sudden he like he never understood why I was always on my phone, but now that he's a stay-at-home parent and he's anxious about what's going on in the world, he's on his phone a lot. And his anxiety started getting worse. And then, you know, we started to like make rules around when we're on our phones. And all of a sudden he just started doing so much better. Like he was just calmer and like, and I'm like, I noticed that you've been just happier. And like, I was like, why do you think you're, you know, just doing so much better? And he was like, honestly, I think cause I'm just on my phone less. I'm just, have less input of all of these messages of all of this stress. And you know, all that being said, like I've set rules 
for me to stay off my phone at this time and this time, it ended up not working, especially now that I'm doing it for my job. It's like, I'll delete the app off my phone for the day. And then I realized, oh crap, I was supposed to post this thing for my work and I got to download the app again. And it's like, yeah. I guess I use like third party uh, scheduling things like so you can schedule, but you can't share to your story unless you're in the app and things like that. So sure. I, that's honestly something I'm still figuring out. One thing that I did though, and I'm actually coming up on my one year anniversary of doing it, it was actually like the day after Thanksgiving, I, last year, I had really, I be, had to become really addicted to my phone. That was when I was really depressed last year. And I was so tired of like, I tried like the, the thing on your phone where you can like freeze the app after a certain number of minutes and you can't get into it unless you go into your settings. I tried everything, it wasn't working. So I decided I was going to unfollow everyone on Instagram so that I had nothing in my feed. And yeah. I actually did that. Like I, I <laughs> Instagram locked me out because I thought my account was hacked, but oh, I no. ended up, yeah, I ended up being able to unfollow everyone. I think I unfollowed everyone except like my husband and like two of my friends who had businesses and I yeah. have like, three followers and now I have like 300, uh, not three followers. I followed three people and now I have like 300 people I follow um and honestly that's still too much but <laughs> I just really I you know you always hear people say unfollow people who you don't like and you see that message and you double tap and you keep scrolling but I really got serious about it now I take the time to if I see something I don't like I do not keep scrolling I go to their page and I unfollow or you can mute people now and they don't have to know you unfollow if you care about that stuff. But I did that on Facebook early this year and I'm so glad because I didn't see any election garbage in my Facebook. I, oh yeah, like early on when COVID started happening and all <laughs> these people were saying COVID's not real. Meanwhile, like my, my aunt works in a hospital and people are dying in front of her. Um, I just, I unfollowed a lot of people. So in Facebook, you can actually unfollow people from your feed instead of unfriending them. But I also yeah. unfriended and blocked a lot of people too because I don't, I think it's the epitome of people pleasing to an unhealthy degree to keep someone as a friend on Facebook and their content is making you feel sick. It's toxic. And you're worried yeah. about their ego. You're worried about them getting upset that you, they don't even know if you're their friend or not. And if they're like, I don't, it's really so, it was the epitome. So I was just like, no, I don't care. And I, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I get a little ruthless about it, but I think it's so important. We spend a lot of our time online, and if you work in social media or communications, you also spend a lot of time on the internet, and so it's really important to take it seriously. Take it seriously how that constant input is affecting you, and especially when, like, the, you know, like, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, all that stuff happened, people were so, like they didn't care like they really didn't care and that was really a whole nother level like and I was like nope I can't deal with this and so I just unfollowed a lot of people so I mean this is still something I'm navigating and I'm also experimenting with taking the apps off my phone honestly every weekend like just a part of my routine I think it's really important if you're trying to do something like healthy for yourself to make it a ritual and so I'm trying to get to a point where I've like automated my business so that on Friday night after work from five o'clock I can delete the apps off my phone and not have to worry because I think there has to be some days of every week where you're literally not on your phone like the way things used to be where we weren't constantly needing it you know like walk to your local yeah. coffee shop don't use your GPS I don't know just you know, just put your phone away and lock it away. Sometimes I even put it like out in my patio closet just so it's really far away. 
because that helps too. Um, but I know that was a really long answer, but yeah, I'm just, it's something I'm still trying to figure out because it is really heavy sometimes like to carry that phone around and all the stuff that it brings with it. Um, so yeah, I don't take it for granted. It's very influential on the way I feel. Absolutely. Yeah. That's such a good point about the people pleasing and like you, I have had to get a lot more, if you want to call it ruthless, just pulling my friends lists and blocking people and things like that, because I just discovered that, I just didn't see eye to eye with so many people. And so we found out a lot about each other. And so I think it's healthier that way. (laughs) Right. I know it's sad. You're like, I thought we were friends. And I know. You'd be like, you can disagree and still be friends. And it's like, listen, if someone's telling me that it's fine for black people to get murdered in the street, I don't want to be friends with you. Um, But I heard this really great quote at the beginning of all of this, this year, where someone said, if people tell you who they are, just believe them. So I don't argue with people in the comments. I don't argue with people in my DMs. People want to DM me and say stuff to me. And I'm like, you're not paying me for my time. So I'm not (laughs) going to waste my energy with you. Like I'm working full time. I run a business part time. I have two children. I do not have time to argue with you about your racist ideals. So, you know, I just got really good at not trying to save people in their comments and then their messages. You know, people see something they don't like. They're like, oh, no, I need to set this person straight. And it's like, no. You're not God. You don't get to set that person straight. There's so many people, if they want to learn about racism, they can go pick up a book or they can go talk to someone respectfully. If they want to learn about COVID, if they want to learn about how they can be a better person, they can figure it out. It is not your my job to have to save everyone in the comments. And so I just didn't respond to people. I didn't call them out or whatever people want to say. It's like, it's not your job to call everybody out. It's your job to take care of yourself. And if you can't even do that, who are you to be out there telling other people what to do and what to think, right? Like, I let people have their own opinions. I just don't need to subscribe to them, right? Sure. I think that's a really healthy behavior that I'll probably be more like that when I come back in December. (laughs) Just not engage with all of that stuff. So, okay, my next question. If someone is struggling to set boundaries, what advice would you give them? Ooh, I would ask why are you struggling to set boundaries? Because there could be so many reasons, so many reasons behind why we struggle to set boundaries. Um, Let me see if I can give a good example. So there was a family member who uh, I had a really hard time setting boundaries with, but I really needed to. And the reason why, obviously, this is a really common reason, is you don't want to hurt their feelings and you don't want to look like a jerk. Okay, so if that's the problem then ask yourself, like, why is it that having some level of boundary with this person is going to be so devastating to them that it's going to hurt their feelings? Do they own your time? Like, so for instance, this person wanted to call me whenever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and offload on me. So keep in mind, I have a toddler and I had a newborn at the time, and Mm -hmm. who... Oh my gosh, I love babies. They're so cute. But oh my gosh, they need you every second of the day. Like, I mean, once my child could pick food up and put it in her mouth, I was like, praise the Lord. Because then I got to sit and eat. Because otherwise, like, I'm starving and I got to scoop that food and feed it little by little. And my second baby, God love her, is so picky about food. I could spend hours trying to make her different things. So I'm starving, right? Oh my gosh. Anyway detour but so 
what I mean to say is that if I had a spare moment, I needed to shower or brush my teeth or eat something. Not sit on the phone with this person while they vented to me about all their problems that honestly they had control over. Um, like, you know, it's it's one thing to be like, hey, I'm having a really hard time and I need to vent to somebody. Do you have time to chat? And you can be like, yeah, I have time on this Friday. If you want to talk at two o'clock, I can make some time. My partner can watch the kids. Yeah. It gives, it, it respects me. It respects me and gives me the option to say, yes, I have a time and here's when or no. Okay. A lot of people think boundaries are completely cutting everyone out of your life. That's not true. That's honestly easier a little bit than having these nuanced boundaries. So when I teach boundaries, like on my YouTube channel, et cetera, I talk about cutting out and limiting, right? There's two types. So I limit the exposure I have to a lot of people. And so I called this person up and I was like, you cannot call me whenever you feel like because oftentimes you're calling me while I'm in the middle of breastfeeding. You're calling me while I'm in the middle of this or that, you know, and it's not fair to me. And if at that moment that person gets angry at you, then that means that that person believes that they own you and your time and your energy. You want to be friends with that person? Really? And if they're related to you, here's my recommendation if they're related to you. They still need to learn how to respect your time and energy. And they, if they love you, they're going to be open to respecting your time and energy. And you have to communicate. It feels it's, it's not okay with me when you call me whenever you want because I need to take care of myself and my children or whatever it is, or I need my time or I have time where I need to focus on my work. Just that's all it is. And if that person gets upset about it, then it really is time to reevaluate that friendship. Let that person cool off. Let that person. But if they try to make you feel bad, then they have problems. And you really got to reevaluate that relationship because that they're trying to own you. Nobody owns you. Okay. And so I called 2018 my year of setting boundaries. I spent the whole year setting boundaries. And I mean like one after one after one after one. I had so many hard conversations. It was the year where I was forced into it because my parents started to have their, their they're not fully divorced yet, but their divorce kind of started. And, you know, with divorce comes all these people taking sides and telling me what I should think and what I should do and all this. And I'm like, I'm not standing for this anymore. The people pleaser in me, there comes a point in every people pleaser's life where you don't get to hide in the shadows of being neutral and trying to be everybody's friend. Because there comes a point where in my life, for instance, my parents were getting divorced and all of a sudden, it's like, you have to speak up and say something. You have to say how you feel. Otherwise, people are going to tell you how to feel. And that is so unhealthy. So yeah, my recommendation would be, I mean, that was an example. But the recommendation I teach people is, number one, get clear on why it's so hard for you. Get clear on that. Get to the root of it. Number two, get clear on how not having this boundary is hurting you. What is it costing you? Because then once you become clear on how much you are letting yourself be hurt, it's very hard to just sit there because then you're accepting that you're neglecting yourself or allowing harm to come to you. And that is not a good place to be. Number three, get someone to hold you accountable because it's going to be very easy for you to make excuses to not have that hard conversation when the time comes because it is hard and it is uncomfortable. And if you're a recovering people pleaser or people pleaser like I was, you really don't want to hurt people's feelings. And I'm highly empathic. I don't like to hurt people's feelings. But if you do not love yourself, you really aren't loving anyone else. You're just being their doormat and you're letting people use you because you're trying to keep yourself safe. 
Um, and so you have to grow in courage and bravery by setting these boundaries um, so that you can stop living this life full of fear, right? And yeah, the accountability piece is really important. Like I had a psychologist in 2018 that whole year. So every week I would come in and talk to her about this other boundary I set or I would talk to her about how I needed to set a boundary but was too scared and she would help me through that. So not everyone can have a psychologist or a therapist, but you can find a friend or a coach or a mentor or even a book that's just full of encouragement about why it's important to do this for yourself. So those are the three things I would say to help you. And I also read a book. It's called, uh, oh my gosh, I don't remember, but it's it's called Boundaries and it's by Dr. Henry Townsend and John Townsend. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, we have that book, yes. Okay, it's a good book. It's an old book, but I didn't I honestly didn't finish it because it gets a little long, but the beginning was all I needed to really read to realize, oh my gosh, I have no boundaries. So yeah, it's a variety of things, but I think one of the things that's really key is uh, that support system to help you and honestly you just feel so much better after you feel so much better like your time is your own your energy is your own and you're just I don't know after 2018 I just became a new woman I didn't have all these people weighing me down so highly recommend (laughs) that's awesome I'm still very new with boundaries I really didn't grow up knowing what they were I didn't even know about boundaries yeah and so I am just now teaching myself and also working with a therapist on things like that. So that's really helpful advice. Okay, next question. You mentioned PTSD a little bit before. What is having PTSD like for you? Um, yeah, I did mention a little bit before, like, because I, one of those people, I go on and on when I'm asked a question, like, what diagnosis do you have? Let me explain the whole thing. Um, PTSD uh, right now means I don't sleep well and I, I'm a little bit better now, but I recently went through two months of severe nightmares. Every night, severe nightmares mm-hmm. where I would wake up feeling like I didn't sleep. And not just that, I would wake up feeling like I'm so mentally exhausted, like my brain just took a beating for eight hours. It was horrible. <sighs> and uh, I'm... I worked through something that was causing that, like a big trigger, right, from my past. And I worked through that. And so as soon as I did that in therapy, my nightmares eased up a little bit. So amazing how much our real lives are connected to our brains. And my therapist explains it as like, you know, dreams. And when we sleep, that's when our brain processes things. And if you uh aren't sleeping well you're not processing so you know that's why it's so important to like work through your trauma and so I'm doing EMDR therapy trauma therapy to help me process but so it's really just right now it's a lot of chronic fatigue it's a lot of sinusitis because of the anxiety that I'm living with I feel tightness in my neck and back pretty much all day struggling to breathe and that makes me feel lightheaded and dizzy and just really not living at my maximum capacity and that's where the self-compassion comes in because I'm doing the best I can and I am taking good care of myself and I'm taking my medicine and my vitamins and I'm doing I'm going on walks because that's the exercise I can do right now like I share a lot like in our group that I um, I like to do African dance workouts but I can't do that right now because of how exhausted I am and, and dizzy so I had to let that go and it's just like being okay and like acknowledging that 
I will keep getting stronger and I will keep getting better and that there will become a time when I can do my dance workout again. Right. But for now, see, perfectionism would have said you're worthless. You're broken. You can't do this dance workout. So why work out at all? And I was heading there, but because I've been through this and I've been working on my, my mental health for so long, six years almost now coming up, I told myself, no, 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 this is a season because you're processing through some heavy crap. Your mm-hmm. body is dealing with it. Your body is fighting for you. Take care of your body. And so I just pivoted to walking. I asked myself every day, okay, you can't do this because you're too X, you know, too tired, too fatigued, can't breathe. What can I do? And so I just try to start every day asking myself, what is possible for me? Like, maybe I can't work for six hours today, but can I do three? Can I do one? Can I sit down and answer just one email? And then it sets this domino effect for my day where I'm able to really not do an incredible like amount of stuff, but way better than if I just sat on my bed lamenting about all the things I can't do because my body is going through whatever. And I think you probably relate to this when you have mental illness sometimes or any illness, you, you're angry at your body and you're angry at your brain. Yeah. Right. You're like, just so angry because you're like, God, why can't I just be normal? You know, why do I have to deal with this? Why do I have to carry this burden? And I think that that breeds like self-hatred and like, you know, it's, I think it's important to grieve like the things that you don't have, but I think it's also important to be like, to thank yourself like I'm hugging myself right now that's like something I wasn't even open to until like early this year my therapist would like recommend hugging myself and I'm like that's weird and now when I'm really struggling and anxious I'm like it's gonna be okay <laughs> you know and it's like it's good like it's if you good. can't hug yourself like if you always need someone else to do it for you like that's not a good place to be you got to be able to nurture yourself and comfort yourself and so I've been like really having to develop my arsenal of nourishing activities of how do I comfort myself? Like, what's my favorite show? What's my favorite music to listen to? I love baths with essential oils and candles and like all these things, you know, I could sit here and go, oh, well, I can't do all these other things that all these other people do. It's like, you can't focus on other people. You can't compare yourself to other people. You have to love and appreciate your body where it's at. And so I try to love myself when all I can do is lay in bed And I try to love myself when I'm like killing it at work and I'm killing it at motherhood. And I try to love myself when I'm having a a day where I'm like yelling at everyone because I'm frustrated. I'm like, why can't anyone just eat their food? Why is everyone throwing their food on the floor? So, you know, it's like that's what PTSD is doing for me right now. It's really it's really heavy. And I mean, you know, this like in my group that I just launched, like my coaching program, I had all these great plans in the beginning. And then I started having these nightmares and I couldn't deliver all the lessons. I think I delivered the last lesson this week. And that was like a month late, like from when I wanted to get it to you guys. And I had to go through that process of being angry with myself and then recognizing that like, I didn't choose PTSD. I didn't choose to be abused. I didn't choose to have nightmares. I didn't choose any of this and I would so much rather work with what I have than live my whole life wishing I was someone else. So that's a really long explanation, but basically, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about PTSD. (laughs) That is some really heavy stuff, but it sounds like you're handling it in the best way that you can and just taking care of yourself, which is something that we can all learn from. Yeah. So Okay, do you think that it is important to get an official diagnosis? Oh, 100,000 million percent. (laughs) So important. 
And to get your diagnosis, not from a primary care physician. Because I got, like, my main doctor, like, my PCP was just like, oh, I think you have this, and here's some drugs, and none of them worked, and it was awful. And she didn't recommend me to go to a psychiatrist. She didn't put in a referral. I had to, like, call their office and do all this work to get them to submit a referral so that I could go to my psychiatrist. The whole mess, you know, the insurance system is just not great. But... I finally had like an hour and a half long interview clinical evaluation with a psychiatrist who I liked and trusted and got that diagnosis. And it was relieving and scary. But once you know what you have, you can do research on it, right? If you don't know what you have, you're sitting there Googling symptoms, right? And you're overwhelming yourself and scaring yourself. Excuse me. But when you know what you have, you can target your research. You can pick up books by experts who study that specific thing and you can really learn so much more about what you're dealing with. And when we know what we're dealing with, when we have, I don't like to say story because it's true, but like when we have a story for our pain, it helps us to be way more compassionate and accepting of ourselves and just to know what to do. So for instance, two weeks ago, I had this horrendous migraine. I couldn't get out of bed. It lasted all day. It was so painful, but I know that that's connected with my PTSD And I knew it was triggered from this specific event that I had. And because I knew all of this stuff, I was able to just sit in the pain and trust that it would pass. And it did. And um, I don't know that that's what a diagnosis helps you to do. It helps you cope. I think it helps you to get help. It helps you to, um, you know, be supported. And that's one of the things I was sharing with someone the other day, like, because I had an official diagnosis of PTSD and depression, I was able to qualify for some no-cost therapy services because it, there was there was programs that provide therapy to people who have PTSD. And yeah. if I didn't have that diagnosis, I probably wouldn't have gotten into that program. And so that provided me with three weeks of therapy with probably my favorite therapist so far earlier this year. And I really needed that. And at that time, I had no money for therapy. So it was such a blessing. And that's another thing that's just so devastating is like, it costs a lot of money to go to therapy, you know? So it's having a diagnosis helped me to be eligible for programs. And there are a lot of programs out there, but they don't have marketing budgets. So a lot of people don't know about them. So it really requires a lot of research, a lot of work to find these things, but they're out there. And so, yeah, that's what having a diagnosis helped me to have. That's really good. My next question, I know you've been really open about this, So you have two children, and what was the birth experience like with each of them? So uh, my first child, the birth was horrendously traumatic, and uh, my doctor was extremely condescending, probably racist, and didn't honor or respect any of my wishes. He literally told me, like, when I was laboring and, like, near pushing phase that, like, oh, well, you better be able to push this baby out because I have somewhere to be at 7.30. Or seven o'clock or something. Yeah, like I'm literally like laboring. I think I was at 22 hours at that point of laboring. So tired. Can you imagine being awake for 22 hours? You can't eat or drink anything because you could throw up. And I was already throwing up. So you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're tired, you're in pain. And your doctor comes in and shows that to you. And I know some people are like, well, if you knew he was horrible, why didn't you change? He didn't show that version of himself until I was too late transfer doctors Mm. so it was pretty horrible and um I was pushing and 
then all of a sudden he decided to use scissors and cut me down there and pull my baby out and rip out my placenta. Like he didn't let me deliver my placenta. You're supposed to deliver your placenta the same way you deliver a baby. You have to wait for it to detach from your uterine wall. You have to push the placenta out. He ripped it out of me. So I bled so heavily for a solid month. I mean, so heavily. And it was so Um, scary. So scary to see that much blood coming out of you. And it also made me extremely fatigued. I almost couldn't leave the hospital because my blood platelet count was so low. He did a lot of damage to my body and he was out of there by seven o'clock. So he got exactly what he wanted. Um, Uh It was horrible. And uh, because he didn't care, he also didn't like evaluate my mental health, which usually they do at the six month, six week check-in. So I had PPD, postpartum depression and anxiety, but I wasn't diagnosed and, um, yeah, it was horrendous. And I have a whole blog post I wrote about it that like went semi-viral and it was like overwhelming. Cause actually most women were saying like, basically that doctors don't need to give you consent. They don't need to get your consent to, to cut you. It's called an episiotomy. And I think that that shows how freaking conditioned we are as women to let people do whatever the hell they want to our bodies. I'm like, are you freaking joking me you're in your most vulnerable position you're tired exhausted thirsty hungry and pushing a child out your legs are spread wide open and there's six people in a hospital room and it's fine for someone to pick up scissors and cut your flesh that does not sound okay to me people are like it's their job i'm like no No. i'm I'm like i'm like people don't like when i say this but i in our current healthcare system we are the customers (laughs) I'm paying this doctor, paying thousands of dollars for this doctor's expertise, and I'm paying thousands of dollars for the insurance just to even be able to see this doctor. They're not supposed to just do whatever they want. So it was really bad, and honestly, that's still something I need to process through in addition to all the trauma I went through as a child, and I got all this trauma as a mom, but it also means that whenever my son's birthday comes around, I'm not really like feeling super celebratory. I'm feeling raw and stressed. So there's that. And then, but my daughter, my second child who was born two years ago, um, it was such a good birth. I birthed in a hospital, but with a nurse midwife. And it was such a miracle because I was worried that it wasn't going to be good um, Mm -hmm. for a variety of other reasons. But honestly, it was amazing. I was so respected. And, you know, there, it is hard to like push a baby out, obviously. Um, But this nurse midwife, like, was so patient and let my body deliver, even though it took a while. And then the thing that got me the most was after I birthed my daughter, she said, okay, now we need to birth the placenta. And I was like, what? Like I saw my other doctor rip the placenta out of me. I saw him do it. And I've had women message me saying it happened to them too. And they suffer from really heavy bleeding. So it's this common thing. Dr. Sukes, they don't want to wait. My nurse midwife waited And I had to push the placenta out. It took multiple pushes. And that made me cry. Like that act of like, okay, the human being is fine. She's out of my body. She's over there. But they had the respect for my body to let me push out my placenta so that I could do, my body could do what it needed to do. I bled for maybe 10 days and it wasn't even that heavy. Whereas with my first child, I bled for over a month and it was horrendously heavy. So it makes a difference. And it was very... That birth was very redemptive. It helped me to feel a lot better about having kids. Like I'm open to having another child, but right now I'm working on my mental health. But, Mm -hmm. you know, 
it was just so healing and but it, it's devastating to me like I, what I went through was not uncommon I know so many women who have had horrendously traumatic births and a lot of us don't even want to call it trauma because first of all we think trauma is only something that happens to like people in war um and we don't want to connect that word right trauma that sounds so ugly and scary to something as beautiful as our child right we're scared to connect that because we don't want to make it sound like we're ungrateful or people gaslight us like well you're lucky your kid came out and didn't have to sit in the NICU for three months well yeah sure but I also like was bleeding in my rocking chair for four weeks so please don't talk to me about what I should be grateful about so that happens a lot in the motherhood community it's really unfortunate but we don't just let people have their struggles we tell them they should be grateful or that just just you wait it's gonna get worse or all this crap that made me honestly like again, set a lot of boundaries with mom people. Like I used to have all these play dates and I was just like, I would rather sit at the playground alone with my kids than sit here and deal with all this mom gossip. So that's a whole, that's a whole nother podcast episode. But yeah, those are my two births. My, becoming a mom uh, was a huge deal. And, um, but it also, I became, I never considered myself a feminist. I didn't even know what it was. But once I became a mom, I am a raging feminist. I am here to, you know, as you know, I'm a social justice activist. I work at a nonprofit on policy work, and I'm here to change the structures that are oppressing us and making us women like we are here giving birth to the next generation. And people want to like put us on the side, like you know. And I'm like, no, like we need real change at a structural level so that women aren't being, you know, paid less and their careers being destroyed because companies don't want to work with the fact that our bodies naturally give life like that's the way our bodies are like why is that not being respected in the workplace why is that not being respected like people I remember I went back to work and I was breastfeeding I had to take multiple breaks to pump and people were just like why are you always leaving your desk like they didn't even run they didn't even I'm like who are you like how do you not know how the body works you know what yeah. I'm saying they're like oh you pumping what is that I'm like wow okay so yeah it's um we have a lot of work to do in America when it comes to how we respect women um and I honestly think some of the worst encounters I have have been with other women who like honestly don't realize they have misogyny in them where they're like your yeah. doctor can do whatever you want to I'm like we need to be on the same side <laughs> like we need to be on the same side and honestly I think people do that because then they don't have to face the fact that maybe they were mistreated right if we act like everything's normal then we don't need to feel bad one of the hardest and bravest things you have to do when you have trauma is acknowledge that you have trauma and call it trauma call it what it is and unfortunately yeah. that means that your whole body's going to start freaking out because you're like oh my god what happened to me what happened to me wasn't okay but then you can start the process of healing and you will be so much stronger. Like I can't even recognize the woman I was when I became a mom four years ago. I am a completely different person and it has a lot to do with just taking those steps to just keep facing my past and all the things I went through and getting help with them. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. That is so scary that... So many women just accept that as being normal. That does not sound okay to me at all. That really freaks me out. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, lots of work to be done, clearly. You talked about insomnia a little bit. What are some things that help you to combat that and help you to sleep better? That's a really good question. So there was a time in my life I struggled with insomnia where you, you can't sleep. And 
currently my struggle is I'm sleeping, but I'm having nightmares and I'm basically like a prisoner in my sleep. <laughs> but let me talk about just preparing for a good night's sleep in general. Um, so there's a few things, um, actually preparing for sleep, not like watching a show and then closing your computer and rolling over. That's not preparing for sleep. <laughs> Scrolling on your phone and then shutting it off and then rolling over, that's not preparing for sleep. So I have a nighttime ritual, like, and it's very basic because I don't know if you experienced this, but when I was really deep in depression, brushing my teeth, like almost didn't happen at night. And I know some people are like grossed out by that, but I'm just going to be real with you. And actually when I started saying that people were DMing me like, oh my gosh, I struggled to brush my teeth at night too. So it's a huge win for me to not only brush my teeth at night, but floss my teeth at night. And I feel so freaking loved when I do that for myself because for so many years I couldn't. And so it means a lot to me when I do that. Um, it's almost like, like, I don't want to explain it. So like when my kids are getting ready for bed, I brush their teeth. I tuck them in. I sing them the same songs. I hug them. I give them a hug, a squish and a kiss. That is like our, our ritual. And like, what a way to prepare your child for bed. You're safe. You're loved. You're cared for. Go to sleep. Sweet dreams. I love you. We need to do that for ourselves. <laughs> you know, I didn't have that as a child. So brushing my teeth, flossing my teeth. And then after that, I'm like, you know what, I'm at the sink, might as well splash some water on my face and use my face wash. And so doing that and then throwing some moisturizer on my face, just those four steps makes me feel eons better. Like it, and, and when you do these things and you ritualize them, you do them at the same time every day or you do them generally right before bed, it starts to signal to you, just the act of doing it then starts to signal to your brain, oh, it's time to go to bed. Another thing, which is really hard and very obvious, but still something I struggle to do is shutting off your phone at least an hour before bed or at least 30 minutes before bed. I haven't done this, but now I'm realizing I need to start doing this is plugging my phone in outside of my room. So I'm less likely to pick it up. So probably around eight o'clock, I need to plug in my phone outside of my room. Um, because you know, you don't want any more stimulation or input. And then after that, I would say another practice that was really helpful to me that I pick up whenever I'm struggling through a phase of feeling, uh, frustrated with myself. Anyone who's like, likes to work hard and get a lot done and feel a sense of achievement, you might lay in bed thinking this day was crap, I didn't get enough done, my to-do list is still sitting there, and that can keep you up. So what I recommend for that is before you go to bed, have a journal and a pen placed next to your bed so you can see it and remind yourself, pick that journal up and write down three things you're proud of yourself for accomplishing. Celebrate, I call it celebrate your damn self. <laughs> celebrate every milestone. <laughs> And I started every night would write down when I was a stay at home mom and I just felt like I could get nothing done, like just taking care of my kids. And I'm like, you kept your kids alive today. You took them outside for fresh air for one hour. That's amazing. And you made sure you showered today. That's awesome. And just writing down every day, three things I felt proud of myself for accomplishing helps just helps you to like go to bed more soundly and to sleep better. And if there's something you didn't get done that was really important to you, just write it down for tomorrow, like write it down so you're not holding it in your brain, you're not thinking about it. So that kind of practice of journaling or even just releasing your thoughts. I talk about journaling so much in general and it's because I think even though I hate writing and I hate the feeling of my hand cramping because that's what happens, I don't hold my pen right. Um, it's so helpful to journal. So there's so many ways to approach it and that's why I just, just figure out a way that works for you and do it. Um, and then, and then on top of that, like you, oh, self massages are great. So like I'll do like lotion and essential oil and I'll like massage my shoulders and my neck and 
my feet or even my hands. And mm -hmm. is it as good as someone else massaging you? No, but it's just an act of love, a way of calming down. Maybe you're anxious and instead of using your hands to be on your phone, you're using your hands to massage yourself. So just think about just any way that you can relax yourself, calm yourself down and make it a ritual so that you signal to your body like, oh, it's time for sleep. And some nights I do all that and I still have nightmares depending on how triggered I am. But you wake up with clean teeth and nice skin. So it's still better than nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Those are really good tips. I started turning my phone off oh, before I go to bed so I'm not tempted to... Yeah check it or do different stuff so yeah and I'd never used to do that my phone used to be on almost all the time and it's yeah. like that's crazy why there's no my brain needs to shut off at some point and yeah. sometimes I just need to physically turn my phone off so yeah so I saw that I've I've watched this YouTube video of yours and so I really wanted to ask you this um, because it's something that I've dealt with in my life, people telling me this, that some people think that prayer is a substitute for therapy. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this? God bless the Marjories that tell us that, but, um, <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. Um, maybe you can post a link uh, to that video whenever you post yeah. this, this, but, um, in short yeah. summary, I really wanted that to be the case. I thought I'm struggling with my mental health because I am a sinner and I just, um, I just need to get better at forgiving those who abuse me. And listen, I work every day to forgive those who abuse me, but that doesn't change the decades of abuse and the trauma that's living in my body and making me sick. So I went to a priest who was very orthodox, and I thought he was going to be like, yes, absolutely, you need to pray all these things. So I went to this priest. I literally set up a meeting with him. It took weeks. I waited so long. Finally went and visited him, told him I, I really need weekly spiritual direction and guidance, and I told him what I was dealing with, and then he asked me some more questions, and I explained kind of like my past and the abuse I went through, not even in detail. Mm -hmm. He was like, you don't need a spiritual director. You need a therapist. <laughs> He was like, you need a psychologist. You need someone to help you. Like, he's like, you've been through real trauma. You need help with that. Like, basically validating the fact that you're going through a hard time, not because you're a bad person and this is your fault. You're going through a hard, and not because God doesn't love you or you haven't prayed enough. He's like, you are going through a hard time because you've been through a hard time. So mm -hmm. he gave me a, a business card for a therapist he recommended. She ended up, she wasn't seeing any new patients and was retiring. And that was a whole nother thing. Like, I'm sure you've experienced that, like, disappointment you feel when you call all these therapists and they're not taking patients or they don't take your insurance. It's such yeah. an additional burden to the sick person. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so, it's so dumb. I, I just hate our insurance system, but that's a side note. Anyway, that just, God was in that room, let me tell you my journey would have been so different had that priest not told me that. Because up until that point, every Catholic I talked to was just telling me I need to pray more. I mean, I still get DMs. Like, have you tried this novena? It's like, sister, can you not discount the fact that I've gone through horrendous abuse for two, two decades? Like, can you just give me yeah. a break? And listen, I rely on our Lord and our lady and I love praying. Like God has had my back. I can't tell you for so many years, I have seen God in my life and I will never not believe in God. But, um, I, there's actually this amazing passage in Sirach and I wish I memorized the verse, but you can look it up. But basically it's like, God gave us the physicians to help us. It literally says that. And I literally stumbled upon that 
passage, wow. like, not intentionally. I was, like, flipping through the Bible, and that came up. I've never even read the book of Sirach. And I was like, wow, it literally says in the Bible that physicians are blessed by God, and God sends us the physicians. And it just made me realize, like, even in the Bible, it's like, no, you don't have to sit here and suffer waiting for God to come down and send you something. And I'm sure you've heard of like that joke that's like this man was going to drown and he prayed to God to save him. And then yeah. a helicopter came and he said, no, thank you. God will save me. And a boat came. No, thank you. And then he drowned. It was like, God, I waited for you. And he's like, I sent you a helicopter and a boat, you idiot. Like, hello, I tried <laughs> to save you. And yes. so that's what the priest told me. He was like, he was like, if you had cancer, like, go get help. Like, don't, he's like, I know people who believe that getting a doctor and taking medicine is denying God's power. And it's like, don't we believe, yeah. like, first chapter in the Bible, you're made in the image and likeness of God. Like, let's break that down. Like, you are like God, and you are in his image. So how is it that, but it's because of the sinner narrative that we're taught. We're wretched yeah. sinners, and we need God's grace. It's like, I can believe I need God's grace, but also believe I am a beautiful, loved, cared for, provided for daughter of God. So yeah. I, uh, some people are going to be completely scandalized by this, but I've completely thrown out the wretched sinner narrative. It doesn't mm -hmm. help me to love myself, to love others, and to love God. It just makes me feel like a waste of space. And for all of you out there who are Christian and who've been abused, the wretched narrative, the wretched sinner narrative is not helping you because it's perpetuating the abuse you went through. If you were someone who was hit or abused or molested or yelled at or screamed at for your whole childhood, you already believe that you're wretched because you were treated as if you were wretched. So if you go to your religion and your religion and your faith is telling you you're wretched, where do you go for respite? Where do you go for rest? Where do you go to feel loved? It literally is so infuriating to me that I'm supposed to simultaneously believe that God sees me as a wretched sinner, but also believe that he sees me as a daughter of God, like as a princess, a beloved daughter. Like, it makes no sense. There's yeah. so many, there's so many hypocrisies. And I just had to decide, like, not maybe these people teaching this stuff don't know what they're talking about. So I decided to get help. And that's really what because before that, I had gone to therapy, but I thought this isn't it because I'm Catholic and I need to do it this way, right? So three years before that, I was working on myself, but I was like, no, 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 this isn't the right way. And then I was like, no, this priest is telling me this. And honestly, it sounds like this message I was meant to hear. I'm not going to be the person that's sick and doesn't get help. And then what would that, what precedent would that set? What if my son or daughter go through something traumatic and need help and be like, get on your knees and pray that rosary, sorrowful mysteries five times. No, yeah, I'm gonna tell them to get help, and I think it's ridiculous for people to act like you can parent and like tell people what to do but not do it yourself. So, I yeah, I'm just not for that, not for that at all. I'm so disappointed in honestly Catholics and Christian people who continue to perpetuate the narrative that we're just these horrible, awful people. I'm like, no, I think. I think we're loved and cared for and we make mistakes because we're human, but I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm like this terrible person. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That kind of messaging is just so damaging and it's really hurt my faith in God and just, I'm still, I'm still struggling with that. And cause I was told once as a child or, or a teenager, I don't remember that because I hadn't said a certain prayer a certain way, all those days that I hadn't said that were wasted. Mm. 
my god and i was like you know i truly believed that partially for a long time and i don't believe that anymore but that was just one example of yeah. like that's just twisted yeah and it's such a lie and i'm so glad that that priest was helpful enough to to speak truth to you and say yeah hey like this kind of help will be really good for you so that's that's really awesome yeah I'm so lucky again that's how I feel like God showed up for me you know and I think yeah. that's why we need to be careful when because when I share these views people are like oh my gosh are you even Catholic it's like I'm sorry who made you God the father and when are you going to judge me <laughs> um so people get so upset about it but I'm just like you know, be careful when you want to tag someone in a post who you put on a pedestal as like, oh, but this Catholic, I love what he says. It's like, who made him Jesus? No one. And to me, it's like, are you going to choose the writings of some person who doesn't even know you? Or are you going to take the message that you're receiving from your Heavenly Father who knows you better than anyone? And yeah. so to me... And it's like, well, how do you know that priest was speaking on behalf of God? Because I have a soul and I feel it in my body when God is there. And I think all of us have that, but most of us are in denial. I think that's what it means to be in the image and likeness of God and to be connected and be part man, but also part spiritual beings. That there's a part of us, like our souls, that will live on forever. That's what mm -hmm. I believe. And so... Shouldn't there be a part of us that experiences some sort of presence of the Holy Spirit when we're being spoken to? So to me, it's like I would so much rather go for the advice that feels like, oh, this, I feel like I'm being spoken to right now. Like the Holy Spirit is real and works in all of our lives. And I'd rather go with that than some book that was written by some white dude 25 <laughs> years ago who's going to tell me. Like what, what a woman should be and do and all this. I'm just like, oh, Lord, help us. But yeah, that's where I'm at with my faith. And it's challenging because sometimes you're like, oh, but I'm not doing things and thinking the way that I've been told my whole life. But it's like these people who wrote these things are human too. They didn't get it perfectly. You know, I feel like we got to trust that, you know, if we really believe God is real and that we have souls that we are being led and guided and we don't always have to be guided by some one person on Instagram that has 2 million followers. So they must have the truth. It's like, no, they, they probably just say what people want to hear and they get people yeah. to follow them. Yeah. Absolutely. So just one last question. Self-care is so important and yet so many of us don't prioritize it. Why do you think that is? So similar to the boundaries thing, I'd ask you, why are you struggling with self-care? Because everyone has a different story as to why they struggle with self-care. First of all, I do think there's certain things like practices that everyone can benefit from, um, you know, ways of building habits. Like I talk about cornerstone habits. I talk about like, excuse me, I talk about habit stacking and just these different like tips and tricks to like bring self-care into your life. Mm -hmm. But I think everyone has a different reason. And for me, it was very much my, the faith narrative I grew up with, or I, I don't want to say faith, I'll say religion, that told mm -hmm. me that good mothers put themselves last mm -hmm. and good mothers don't do things for themselves. Like love is dying to self, right? How many times have we heard that? Die to self, die mm -hmm. to self. And so here I was dying to self.
neglecting myself, not taking care of myself. And if someone wants to come in here in the comments and be like, you don't understand what diet itself means. It doesn't mean that. Listen, if you have to give a, if you have to write a book to explain a phrase, let's change the phrase. Then the phrase yeah. is working. My goodness. So dying to self was causing me to live in depression and anxiety. It was making me a miserable person and a horrible mom and a horrible wife. And well, I don't want to say horrible mom and wife because that's not true. Uh-huh. Impatient and feeling frustrated and exhausted. I want to be kind to myself and realistic, but just not the version that I was meant to be. And I think about, I think it's John chapter 10, verse one or one chapter one, verse 10. I always mix them up. Y'all don't come to me for your Bible verses. Cause I know, I don't know them, uh-huh. but in that chapter, um, Christ says, I came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus died. He, he did it already. He yeah. died for us. Why are we also thinking we need to do the same thing? You know, it's like he came so that we can have life and have it mm-hmm. abundantly. Not like so he's not like I came so that you can survive. He's like, I want you to live abundantly. You know, it doesn't help to suffer because someone else suffered. Someone else paid the price so that we can live. So live Mm -hmm. to be grateful, to show gratitude for that sacrifice. And so for me, there were a lot of things. It wasn't modeled to me, first of all. I never saw that. For me, growing up, when I was a child, if you took a nap, you got in trouble. Like, if you went to the movies with your friends, that means you're going to have twice as many chores when you got back home. Like, I'm just going to be real. It was not great. And it taught me that resting is bad and that play costs something from you. But on top of all of that, the religious programming that I needed to die to self every minute of the day was suffocating me. And when I decided to throw out that narrative and to live in the fact that Jesus came already so that I can live, I started to work on loving myself in action, right? And also leaning into the fact that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's like, there's this assumption here that I already love myself. And I realized in my marriage that I struggled to be patient with my husband when I wasn't patient with myself. But when I was patient with myself, it was easier to be patient with him. So that's where the perfectionism comes in. When you're a perfectionist, you tend to point out other people's flaws because you want everyone to be perfect too. And so when I started to become aware of that and to work with that, I realized that I needed to let go of that narrative and take love myself the way I would love my neighbor. And it turns out, like rocket science, I started loving myself and I was able to, I had love to give. You can't give what you don't have. So if you're exhausted, you're going to give people that. If you're impatient with yourself, you're going to give people that. If you hate yourself, you're going to give people that. So I started focusing on me and I tell this to people all the time. Once I started doing that, my cup overflowed, right? The ripple effects of my self-care and self-love touched every area of my life. My work got better. I started getting more opportunities. I started making more money. I started to show up better as a mom. I started to show up better in my marriage. I started to show up better in my business. Like it just, I, I, there were some relationships that I thought were lost within my family that I was able to restore. Like it just helped so much. And that's why I want people to know self-care isn't this surface level cute thing of wearing a face mask. It's really this radical changing and it's just a radical way of living. 
And unfortunately, it's radical because a lot of people aren't living that way, especially not women. But I think it's a way of life. It's a way of treating yourself and respecting yourself. And it's something that just transforms everything. Like I, I nap every weekend and my kids just know I nap. They're like, oh, mommy's going to nap. Oh, mommy's, t- are you tired? And it's like, yeah. And they're not like, oh my gosh, mommy's napping. You know what that means? That when my kids are older and they're tired, they're going to take a nap. They're not Mm going to make themselves feel bad because there's still things to do. There's laundry piled up. The bathroom seat could be clean. No, they're going to take a nap and they're tired because I'm modeling that to them. So I just think there's so many benefits to practicing self-care and to really getting to the root of why it's so hard for people. Um, You know, whether it's religion, whether it wasn't modeled to you, whether you were punished for taking care of yourself, whatever it is, it's so important to get to the root of why it's so hard for you. There's some very common beliefs that a lot of people have that are keeping them from practicing self-care that make them feel guilty about it. Um, But everyone's situation is also unique, which is why I encourage people to discover that about themselves, whether it's through journaling and reading a book that helps you and guides you through the process of reflection, whether it's through therapy, whether it's through coaching. Really, if you want to have, if you want to be unshackled from this stuff that makes you feel so bad about self-care, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of inner work. And that's something I always use that term inner work. People are like, what's inner work? What's doing the work? It's like, it's that. <laughs> it's figuring out what yeah. are these beliefs that are making you feel so bad about self-care. So, yeah. That's a really good example about the napping. I very rarely saw my mom nap growing up. So when she did, like once in a great while, it was like she was sick usually. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that's okay. Because I always saw like, you put yourself last, always, always, always. And so I love your group, No Longer Last. It's really helps me to transform my self-care into something that I'm trying to do more and more, like as a regular part of my life. I love having you in the group. You post the most, and I want you to know that I love that. And you inspire us, (laughs) and your pictures, and just how much work you are doing on yourself and like how much growth you were having. And I'm just so proud of you. And I'm so grateful you're in the group. And I'm so glad that we like message because you almost didn't join. And like, I was talking to you about it and I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. Like, you know, so thank Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for everything that you shared with us today and for being vulnerable. That was such a gift. And I learned a lot from you. So thank thank you. you. And I learned a lot from you. And when I feeling discouraged and I go into the group and I see like that you post like, oh, I'm having a hard day. But then I like I put my makeup on and like I'm doing my best. It's like, okay, I can do this, too. You know, it's just like, you know, I I'm not always feeling on fire, you know, I'm not always feeling great. And I want to be realistic about that. And I think that's why it's so important to have friends that get it and to be around people who can show you like, look, I'm having a rough day too, but this is how I'm showing up. And it just helps to encourage all of us to like, just keep going and just make the most of it. Right. That's all we can do is make Mm -hmm. the most of the cards that we've been dealt um, and, and have solidarity in the fact that you're not alone in all of this. 